Welcome back for another episode of the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center's Leadership Log Podcast. The KC-135 Stratotanker has been in service longer than most of us have been alive. Born out of the Cold War need for nuclear deterrence, the Air Force purchased 800 of the airframes from 1957 to 1965 in order to keep B-52 bombers airborne around the globe. We recently had the opportunity to chat with the Senior Material Leader and Legacy Tanker Division Chief, Colonel Mark Mosio, about the challenges his team at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma face in keeping 60-plus year old airframes in the fight. The plan now is to keep at least 75% of the current KC-135 fleet available for service to 2050 and beyond. Colonel Mosio explained that the key to achieving that goal is in partnering with stakeholders throughout the Air Force and industry and in utilizing the robust weapon system integrity plan, all working to solve tomorrow's problems today. So, sir, thanks for joining us today on Leadership Log, which is a podcast for the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center community on topics of interest. And today we're talking about the KC-135, that venerable tanker that's been up in the air for probably longer than most of us have been alive. Uh, and we're here to, uh, to learn everything we can about it with Colonel uh, Mosio. So, sir, if you could please uh, just introduce yourself and give us a little on your career background. Thank you. I'm, I am uh, Colonel Mark Mosio. Uh, Career Acquisition Officer, we're down here at Tinker with the uh, Legacy Tanker uh, Division, where we are responsible for life cycle management of the KC-135 and, and KC-10, actually, as well, which I'll mention later. Um, personally, I've uh, been in the Air Force 28 years, as I mentioned. I've had uh, numerous uh, program office assignments, uh, predominantly at Wright, Pad and Robbins. Uh, I did have a space acquisition assignment at, at Kirtland Air Force Base. Um, the requisite, a couple of Pentagon staff tours, and uh, I was fortunate to career broaden as a young captain into aircraft maintenance uh, way back when, uh, which I uh, carry to this day, especially in this job. Uh, so I arrived here at Tinker to assume this position, the KC-135 uh, senior material leader, as well as the division chief, uh, in 2016, the spring of 2016, and it's just been a wonderful uh, assignment, location, team, and a real highlight of my career. So thank you. So, sir, you said you're a tinker. The team is there. Um, how, big a, how big a staff do you have? Yeah, for the, for the whole division, we have just north of 200 folks to include the KC-10 team. But for the 135, we have about 180 that are dedicated to supporting the KC-135. Uh, of all the key functionals, uh, to include, uh, you know, of course, engineering program managers, logisticians, uh, financial management professionals, and, and contracting. And um, we, we are all here, uh, a mix of uh, predominantly civilian, uh, some military, and, of course, contractors, all, all focused on uh, working here in the program office and supporting the KC-135 uh, weapon system. Um, I, I would like to stress that uh, that's the program office, and that's what we're here to talk about today. But the 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 fleet of KC-135s uh, is, is really supported Air Force-wide. So as a program office, we quarterback and, and uh, uh, certainly have a key role. But I just want to shout out to our partners at the Oklahoma City Air Logistics Center that do the heavy maintenance. And a lot of the uh, actually organic repairs of components uh, are partners in the propulsion director at LCMC who take care of our engine, uh, simulators uh, up at Wright-Patt, and of course, the Air Force supply chain, uh, the KC-135 is 100% organic. 
So, so much uh, support comes from throughout the Air Force. Uh, we're just happy to be part of that big team. And then, of course, our industry partners as well. So uh, that, that's our team at Tinker, dedicated program office, and then the bigger Air Force team. So let's talk a little bit about this amazing aircraft, and it is an amazing aircraft, the KC-135 Stratotanker. Um, it's based on the Boeing 707 jet airliner, which uh, in reading I read was not necessarily the very first jet airliner, but it's kind of marks the beginning of the jet age, so to speak. And, um, and so they, we started with that aircraft, but it's, it's a vastly different aircraft than it was in 1954 that, that it is today. Um, so, so walk us through some of the things that you've done over the years to modernize this airplane. I, I know the engines have been updated at one point, um, but what are some of the other things? Yes, sir. You're right. Uh, born out of the depth of the Cold War, the the KC-135 was really built and designed to drag around B-52s around the, around the globe, supporting the nuclear deterrent mission. And and today, uh, we we just do so much more um, to keep the aircraft relevant. Um, we have re-engined actually twice. Uh, the aircraft was produced with J-79s, moved to TF-33s, and now in the 90s, uh, we brought on the F-108 which has proven to be just a great investment for the Air Force and for the nation. It's uh, given us the ability to drive out well into the mid-century, very reliable, and also um, added some performance to the aircraft with fuel efficiency and such that uh, really uh, brings us into the you know, 2000s as a modern aircraft. Coupled with that, about the same time as the re-engineering, we went into uh, a flight deck update sequence where we started in the late 90s, mid 90s with a program called Pacer Crag, followed by GATAM, Global Air Travel Traffic Management. And then that, that sequence of, of updates culminated in our current mod, which was initiated about 10 years ago and is in full rate production. That's Block 45. All those are CNS ATM uh, obsolescence flight deck updates that really pulled the aircraft in sequence out of the analog, a um, uh, lot of obsolete uh, original design, quite frankly, some of the flight deck into a modern cockpit today. So we're about halfway through our Block 45 mod. It's done here with the Speedline install at the, at the organic depot here at Tinker. And then uh, part of that, we brought in the ADSB out. So there's no airspace we can't operate in. Uh, worldwide, uh, thanks to that modernization sequence, and we're more reliable and uh, postured for growth into the future. So is that an upgrade that you, when the aircraft come in for like depot maintenance, PDM, or um, that that's when that maintenance or that upgrade happens? So we, we do have a five-year cycle where every aircraft comes in for PDM and the capability here is, is spectacular at, at the depot. So a lot of mods we do, this particular one we don't, it's actually, uh, pretty intrusive. It would have added uh, some lost availability to the fleet. So the decision was to actually break it out. So our normal PDM takes about 140, 150 days. Uh, the Block 45 modification on average takes about 45 days. So the choice working with AMC is to get that goodness on that flight deck to not extend the time in depot. It worked, the math works out that we're able to do 38 aircraft a year here in a dedicated speed line. That being said, a lot of the other work we're doing, uh, we incorporate, we fold into the actual PD, PDM line itself. 
Now, you mentioned a couple of things, CNS, ATM, and also the ADSB. What, what are those upgrades? What do those kind of entail? So uh, working with uh, the CNS ATM office at Hanscom and uh, the, the you know, global uh, FAA and global air traffic network, uh, we added on all the modern uh, communication devices, all the modern air traffic control devices, uh, because our mission, as you know, as, as we talked, is uh, worldwide. So those were uh, discrete mods, but uh, coupled together, it enables us to, to support any, any worldwide tasking. Okay. And so you can fly in airspace anywhere in the world now? That's, that's right. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, there, there'll be... Uh, um, 390 plus aircraft deployed across the U.S., uh, around the world, and en route. Uh, so uh, all over the planet, they're operating. And in fact, uh, uh, many uh, uh, of the missions will rely on the 135 as the lead uh, to dra do a fighter drag or, or do uh, different taskings. Uh, again, I was reading uh, that when the Air Force first acquired the KC. 135 that they bought 800 of them between 1957 and 1965, which uh, which seems incredibly fast to get 800 aircraft into the into the yeah. fleet. Um, so far, now we've we've required uh, somewhere of 40 or so KC-46s, which are going to be obviously the replacement. Um, but it's going to take some more time before they're fully capable, and so the 135 is going to need to be in the air for a little bit longer. Um, Maybe that maybe a little bit longer than we originally thought. What? How is your team flexing to meet that schedule to make sure that? Um, because as you mentioned earlier, we don't do anything. We don't fly missions without tanking capability somewhere around. Yeah. So we we uh, work hand in hand with the KC forty six team, and that's a tremendous asset to our to our air force. And as you mentioned, it's it's not ready to go quite yet. So we are uh, work hand in glove with the fleet size managers at the Air Force and AMC level. And I, I should point out uh, that the current fleet structure that the Air Force envisions over the next decade uh, really will carry hundreds of 135s into 2030 and beyond. And so as a 46 uh, builds out and completes and becomes fully operational, uh, we've already begun slowly retiring this much smaller KC-10 fleet uh, and that'll happen over the next few years. And then today we have not retired any 135s uh, to support the 46 deliveries. That's coming. And then as we do that, we'll actually uh, keep uh, uh, three quarters of the fleet. So on the order of 300 or so aircraft at the end of the decade, uh, we'll still be KC-135s uh, doing the mission every day uh, in family with the KC-46 uh, uh, fleet. After that is a work in progress. So we're postured as an airframe to be available and operational through 2050 plus. Uh, whether the Air Force will require the 135 to be around that long is, is on some decisions being made uh, as we speak right now on what the next uh, tanker looks like beyond KC-46 into the old KCY, KCZ family, things like that. So um, we are postured to support the Air Force if called on uh, to drive out that far, and uh, certainly we'll be around in, in significant numbers at the end of throughout the 20s and at the end of this decade uh, as required. The the key to that though is to to your question is the basic airframe is is rock solid. The basic airframe 
produced, uh, you know, way back when, 60 years ago, uh, was, was well built. And so today, our major struggle is corrosion. Uh, we, we have uh, a thorough understanding, thanks to a lot of our uh, decisions over the years to tear down aircraft and to do robust modeling and, and uh, a great understanding of the structure and the, and the uh, physics of, of the metal or chemistry of the metal and everything. So we really have a, a deep knowledge of the basic airframe. And what we do every day now is really fight that corrosion. And so that's the key role that our field maintainers and our PDM line uh, play. So the, the structure itself is ready to go. What we need to do is keep that front end uh, current and able to operate, uh, keep it uh, available so that we drive out obsolescence or uh, downtown drivers, and then relevant as, a, as our nation uh, you know, evolves requirements and, and looks to make sure we're uh, capable of executing all the missions we do, whether that's catching up with some of the KC-46 capability, some complementary capability uh, as we move through the next uh, 10, 20 years. Uh, the program we use to, to manage is called the Weapon System Integrity Program, and that's a, a heavy lift by our engineering branch and as overseen by LCMC. And I just wanna uh, mention that program because uh, the energy and the resources we put in that uh, allows us to be confident that we uh, never arrogant or um, uh, laissez-faire, but that, that we're confident that we're trying to address every issue of the airframe and that we keep that airframe strong, even though uh, we turn our 60th birthday and then, you know, one day our 70th birthday and beyond. Mm -hmm. and what are some of the innovative ways that you found to either uh, find areas of corrosion or, or to treat them? Yeah, so we have, uh, a lot of people think about high tech and and uh, innovation in, in the new airplane world. Well, we, we're getting it in the old plane world. All the different uh, ways that we can do non-destructive inspections with different uh, physics, with uh, 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 ultrasound, with uh, eddy current, with um, x-rays, we do all that. And we're always looking for new techniques to see in the structure. So uh, between those teardowns and uh, actually component teardowns we do today to see what's going on uh, and then the ability to see through the skin and look into the structure and to recognize where we might see corrosion or some uh, developing situations, uh, we utilize that. And that, that's built out of our continuum of, of inspections. And really the inspections, of course, happen at the depot. And in fact, our first gate at the depot, the first 15 days, we're doing all those x-rays and, and looking through the skin to see what we need to do. But it's complemented by... The, what the field maintainer sees every day. We're, we're asking them to look at certain parts of the aircraft. We're asking them to look for certain things, send us pictures, send us uh, information. So by understanding how that aircraft is doing, where it's at, uh, how, what the field guys are seeing, field inspections that are uh, like the isochronal inspection, and then uh, book, uh, you know, book stopped, if you will, by the PDMs. We're trying to get in every corner of the aircraft, either pulling the structure off and looking at it, which of course we do, and then all those... Uh, um, uh, innovative ways to see through the structure to analyze what's going on in there. Uh, that, and that is a robust uh, sustaining engineering effort we do that is funded with uh, some of our partners in the organic world with the depot, as well as Boeing and AFRL to look at new ways to, uh, uh, to, to do that work. And that's always something we're looking for new ways 
to see what's going on inside the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned kind of the relationship between the field uh, maintenance units and the, the depot maintenance units. Um, so talk to us about that relationship and how do you kind of coordinate so that you're understanding what the field guys are doing and they understand what you're doing back at the depot. Yes, sir. We, uh, we do work uh, very closely with our field users. Um, we have uh, 33 CONUS bases, uh, uh, overseas deployed locations. Um, uh, 50% of our fleet is in the guard, uh, 10% is in the reserve, and then 40% is in the uh, active AMC component. So we work across that spectrum with primarily headquarters AMCA4 to make sure that we drive our tech data to run that continuum of inspections so that we're uh, looking for things that can lead to a problem that will get addressed in the field or at depot. And then we have that more uh, direct and detailed inspection uh, again at that PDM uh, event to make sure that anything we're seeing, we know where to look, we know what might be going on, and then we'll go in at PDM and, and go after that and, and repair it if, if possible or, or, or fix it. So it's that tech data guidance that we look at as a continuum. Uh, no one knows the aircraft better than the field maintainer, but they're trying to generate missions. So we ask them uh, you know, to do that job, of course, but as they're doing that, to help us look for areas, which they do, and again, they know the aircraft very well, uh, better than anybody. And then when we get to see it every five years, being co-located right with our depot, literally in the same building at Tinker, we're able to have our partners in the depot uh, work on some issues that we know are coming and that they know how to fix. And then we're able to go look for any escapes or anything, any learning events that we have. We always try to solve tomorrow's problems today by that a robust weapon system integrity plan looking forward trying to understand anything that's happening with the structure as well as uh, uh, any issue that we need to work. Uh, but it's that uh, rich relationship we have with them and the trust they have in us as a program office that we're addressing uh, their issues. We, we're very proud. We, we do a lot of technical assistance requests and our, that's our number one priority every morning when we wake up is if the field's asking for a part situation or a disposition, that's our number one job every morning is to turn those as fast as we can. Uh, so we've built to do that uh, and then lead that knowledge into our inspection program. It's all about keeping them flying. And, and uh, you know, ultimately this, the availability of tankers is not an option for the air force. It's something necessary, something that we have to have for day to day operations. Um, so uh, how does your team kind of deal with that pressure? Um, you know, if a, if, a, if a situation arises or something, you know, how do you, how do you ensure that you're able to get a repair out to the field and, and ensure that that availability is there? Well, and, and that's, a, that's a great question. That's a challenge. Uh, every, every aircraft at every field unit is their most important aircraft. And we're looking at a fleet. And so we're trying to balance returning that aircraft to serviceability which is goal one, always, get that aircraft back in the fight. But we're also trying to balance, is there, a, is there something we haven't seen before? Has another unit seen this? Is, this? is this deserving of special attention? And so there are times when we'll uh, turn really fast 
And that's a family, as I mentioned, with our depot partners, potentially our contractors sometimes, Boeing will help us, the field unit capability, um, and the resources to make that happen with money or, or uh, parts. And so uh, oftentimes uh, it's, it's something we've seen and we understand, uh, but it's not a fleet-wide problem, so we can go out and get it. Uh, off, uh, other times, and on my watch, this has happened a couple of times, we've had a situation where uh, there was some uh, newness. So we uh, really work as a family with our user and our, uh, all the resources available to us to, to sit down and look through a problem, understand what's going on, if necessary, do some analysis uh, digitally or actual testing, and then, and then step out with the fleet-wide fix. And so uh, I think at first it takes a team and takes that constant vigilance and focus on what the field's telling us, uh, what they're seeing, and uh, there's a lot of good interchange with them on, uh, can you get another picture of that? Can you measure that again? And mm -hmm. then uh, before COVID, we would often go out. Uh, we would often go out and look at it. And that's become more limited, but with uh, uh, the pictures and our, our confidence with each other, we're able to still work through that challenge. Okay. So, sir, we're just about uh, at the end of our time. But before we go, I want to see, is there anything that we've, left out or anything that we should add about this uh, amazing aircraft? Well, I, I think that it, I, I um, want to say that it is an amazing aircraft. And, and while we are holders of the, of the SPO uh, uh, office symbol right now, and I mentioned that larger Air Force family, uh, we should just be proud as a nation and an Air Force that, that the KC-135 is viable today. And that rests on you know, quite frankly, the giants before us, the decisions they made to re-engine, the decisions they made to invest in that platform originally and, and build it so strong by Boeing, uh, we're, we're reaping benefits today that keeps us able to build on what they did and try to set it up for the next, uh, next uh, team. So while we're in the office today, I, I'd just like to give the credit to our predecessors and also that... Um, as a program office, we're, we're focused on our airmen in the field, uh, both the maintainers and the operators, and we value that trust that they have in us, and we, 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 we know that can be perishable. So we're, we're proud of where we've come. We're proud of where we're at today. We've got a lot of challenges in front of us, but we, uh, working with our field uh, and, and enterprise customers, we, we hope to bring her into the 2020s through the 2030s and beyond if, if necessary, right? So thank you for the time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the 135. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center's Leadership Log Podcast. We hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about the incredible work being done by our legacy tanker teams. If you haven't already done so, then please consider subscribing to the series, and don't forget to follow and like us on our social media platforms. For more information on all things Air Force Lifecycle Management Center related, please visit and bookmark our website at www.aflcmc.af.mil. If you have an idea for a future episode on a topic that would interest the Lifecycle Management Center family, shoot us an email at aflcmc.pa.mediateam at us.af.mil. Until next time, stay strong, stay safe, and keep providing what warfighters need when they need it.